welcome to Top Stories of the Week, presented by Girl on the Gov, the podcast. This exclusive bonus episode drops on Tuesdays and gives you the 411 on the need to know political news and tea. So as always, we'll keep you updated. Welcome back to Top Stories of the Week. We have some, some doozies today. It's a brutal Monday. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Congress is back. That's one of the things we were going to talk about today. There's some shit going on there. There's some shit going on at Fox News. There's some shit going on in some conservative states. So we're going to get to all of it today. And Samantha, I think there is one little shout out that we need to give everybody because we have new stickers. We do. And also, (laughs) side note, this was one of those weird moments where I literally dreamed with, like, I had a dream with these stickers in them. Woke up the next day, and you know how you have those things in your dreams? You're like, it's probably a bad idea. But then I put pen to paper, and they are so freaking cute. They're, They're so, so freaking cute. cute. I'm obsessed. Like, literally, I now have them everywhere. I have one on my desk, or not my desk. I mean, what do you call the bottom of your laptop? Not desktop. I don't know, whatever. I have it on my transfer things. (laughs) Yeah, my laptop. You know, I just... No, they're really, really cute. And we're doing a special little giveaway for these stickers that Samantha will run through all the instructions for you. Yes. Okay. So instructions, the little giveaway. So first of all, we're doing sticker packs. So a bunch of these fun stickers together. And you can get yours by taking a picture of this episode that you are listening to right now or any other episode that you are listening to of the Girl on the Gov, the podcast, post it to your story and tag us and we will chit chat away in the DMs and get you your stickers. Mm-hmm. There it so is. basically, there it is. It's, it's easy. It's that, simple. Folks. Share the story. Or, that was oh the most God. short-winded Share. way I've heard Samantha explain anything. <laughs> But that just shows how simple it is to join this No, a thousand percent. But you guys should see the amount of times that like Maddie makes fun of me in a day for being so long-winded. It's astronomical. I will say this. Like it definitely runs in the family because now even with my parents, but especially my dad who is like I'm cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. I will be having conversations and be like, shorten it, shorten it shorten it literally (laughs) you think that i think that that's when you know it's bad because i will know i'm like okay i've heard these details before or even if i haven't i'm like get to the point and so now it's my new thing which i'm a little i was always wondering if like your parents were like samantha get to the point but it's funny that Mm -hmm. you're like no Mm -hmm. you get to the point no yeah samantha sent me a a minute and 40 second long voice memo the other day just a random story small world moment took maybe 4.5 seconds for her to say that I probably would have gotten the full gist from, but she took a minute and 40 seconds to explain. And I should also note that I actually left the most important part, the juiciest part of the entire story out of the fucking recording. Mm -hmm. That happens when you just, when you just get rolling like that, you know, it's hard. It's so hard. I have so much to say. Liz talking a lot with her hands right now. And one of them has a full blown grandma wrist brace on it and it's really hard being to take seriously right now on text and type like and this is email yep it's a struggle i can't take myself seriously i would bully me and i stand she by has, that. like a full-blown like drugstore 
Not Walgreens, by the way. But no, literally, well, this is like what happened. And what happened is very boring. It's called Carpal Tunnel. And I've had it for a while, but somehow, some way, I made it astronomically worse recently. Like, I don't know if it's just more typing, more scrolling, like whatever. But to the point where like, I literally, like if I lift something, like my wrist is literally weak. The digital age is really getting to our generation and just giving us these ailments that we shouldn't be facing until mm-hmm. we're at least, at least 70. I don't know. But here's yeah, Samantha is with her with her wrist brace. It's quite comical. Before we get into these stories, there is just one little election announcement that we'll run through. We said last week the election announcement thing is going to be a running weekly thing. I'm sure, if not biweekly or whenever the hell people decide to. I'm announce, glad you but... remember that because I totally forgot we said that. Yeah, well, last week it was a whole story because so many people announced. This week it's just okay. a quick mention because. With just seven months until Louisiana's election for governor, Sean Wilson officially entered the gubernatorial race Monday, becoming the first prominent Democrat to seat the seat to seek the seat later this year. He is the former head of the Louisiana Department of Transportation and Development, who appears to be the only high-profile Democrat that will run for the state's top government post in October, and announced his candidacy on social media and and released an official campaign video Monday morning. And he really faces a major uphill battle because it's a very red state and there are four popular Republicans running. So that's the quick little snapshot of an announcement that happened this week. Maybe there'll be more this week. Who knows? Follow our socials to get those updates and sign up for our newsletter. Boom. She's got on whitegirlmakeup.com. It's going to pop up and be right there for you. And name and email, bada bing, bada boom. That's their first, the first little ad they get every episode now. So hopefully Mm. you guys will just keep hammering it home, but go sign up for the newsletter. But getting into these top stories of the week, like we said, Congress is back. This will be the biggest week of the 118th Congress so far. In many ways, it's the real kickoff to what's been a pretty slow year up until now, except for that first week. (laughs) That was wild and crazy. That was a a banger. And the Senate will vote on a high-profile resolution to block D.C.'s new criminal code, while the Foreign Relations Committee takes up a controversial ambassadorial nomination and repeal of the Iraq use of force authorizations. Woof. President Joe Biden's fiscal year 2024 budget proposal will be released on Thursday, intensifying the debt limit fight. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell will go before House and Senate panels to talk about inflation and the economy and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will testify on the president's budget request. Senator Bernie Sanders wants to subpoena billionaire Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Whoa. Maybe it's for that olive oil coffee that they're coming out with. LOL. Spoiler, it's not. (laughs) Norfolk (laughs) Southern Corp CEO Alan Shaw will face tough questions from senators on the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment. And GOP run house will push forward on investigating COVID-19's origins. And that's all Um, just in this one week. Side note, did you also hear that there was another Ohio train derailment involving Norfolk Southern this past weekend? I did not. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh so, my gosh. Is you know, it like it's toxic really, substance again or is it different? From what I have read so far, they were in a shelter in place, like the area in which it happened, but they are claiming that it wasn't toxic spill situation that we had in East Palestine. I haven't done a deep dive into it, so I recommend that everyone listen. Oh my god, everyone listening do that for themselves as well but enough to just think about the idea of like 
whether it's toxic chemicals leaking or not, it's mm-hmm. another situation that didn't need to happen from a safety perspective, like even the engineers on board and even right. from a financial perspective, whatever things are actually being moved for companies that are paying for that. Like mm-hmm. we have a lack of regulation that is causing safety concerns in more than one way, causing financial concerns in more than one way. I mean, that it's were repealed like, by who? Oh, Orange Man. Orange, Orange Man, Man, guys. If you didn't not see not the Kool-Aid Man, not the, the Kool-Aid story. Man. Yeah. So Donald Trump did repeal all of these yeah. regulations that ultimately people are pointing back to for the East Palestine derailment. But I also saw a story that Trump did go visit and Pete Buttigieg went to go visit after and apparently he got some backlash and somebody was like, you're only coming here because Trump came and apparently Pete like snapped off and he was like, that's bullshit and like called out whoever said that, which we love from, we love to see from him. We love a Pete moment because he's always so buttoned up and perfect, you know, just like. You tell him. But even his response, his like snapback was still buttoned. Like it's still just, he's so smart. Like the Ugh. way he just delivers, he puts the words on the line. It's incredible. But yeah. I will say this as the as the lesson for him. And he admitted this in some interview, if it wasn't last week, the week before, that he should have been there earlier. And I totally agree with that. There yeah. shouldn't have been an opportunity from even just a press PR perspective that Trump got there before Pete. Like that to me is like, guys, you fell down. That's a failure. And obviously it's like the administration should be on top of what is going on there a thousand percent. Do I think they could have done a better job? A thousand percent. But even Mm -hmm. I think what shows is the fact that there was like this lag time in that. Like, yeah. You also call it on the other side. You also had the governor that was saying no to aid that biden was offering them so you know it's like obviously there's lots of games being played with the people's politics. lives and people's health here but i just think from a pr end it's like guys how did we they left the space well the other wide thing is because them. when this happened it really didn't catch fire in the news until like at least two weeks after it actually happened right. and that was a lot in thanks to just everybody making noise about it. And I think it was one of those stories that we saw a lot of people posting about, which is really great. And in turn, you know, that always makes politicians be like, oh shit, we got to address this. So right. always make noise about things. It's sad that we have to do that in order to get a response from our leaders, you know, especially on something as tragic as this, but nonetheless, here here we are. But moving forward, Congress is busy. So getting into that. Busy. The Senate will move ahead with a vote on a GOP resolution dis- disapproving of the revisions to the D.C. criminal code, despite the D.C. City Council announcing it was withdrawing those changes. In what has turned into a full-blown disaster for the D.C. government, City Council Chair Phil Mendelson says he has informed the Senate today that he is withdrawing the criminal code revisions. I think just pulling it back and assessing what this step is and looking at some of the issues, explaining better what the legislation does and does not do, so that will take some time. But Mendelssohn's action doesn't appear to make any difference since the House has already passed the disapproval resolution. The Senate will still vote on this on it this week, and a vote is expected on Wednesday. So there could be 70-plus senators voting for the GOP-drafted resolution, according to Senate aides. That means more than 20 Democratic senators support the measure, which is being offered by Senator Bill Haggerty, of Ten- Republican of Tennessee, which his leadership is backing. 
And it's basically an enormous setback, like we said, for the D.C. Home Rule Movement, the D.C. City Council and Mayor Bowser. It's been more than 30 years since Congress took such a dramatic step, but soaring crime rates in the nation's capital, including homicides and carjackings, have made this a tough vote for Senate Democrats, especially those up in 2024. So Senator Joe Manchin, Tammy Baldwin and Bob Casey say they'll vote for the disapproval resolution. Senators Mark Kelly and Patty Murray, both of whom just won re-election in November, are backing it as well. Biden saying he'll sign the resolution. A majority of Senate Democrats could end up voting for the measure in the House. 31 Democrats backed it, including Rep Slotkin, who is running for Senate. That House vote came the same day that Rep Angie Craig was assaulted in her D.C. apartment building by an alleged attacker with a long history of violent incidents. Don't underestimate the impact of the Craig incident. I remember And Senator thinks about the safety of themselves, their families, and their aides while in Washington. That story is so crazy. And one that I will say, like, is a problem in major cities. And what do we know about a lot of major cities? They are, like, Democratic-run, technically. Like, it's a thing in SF, too. That was a big thing in our election last year was just this kind of lack of accountability for violent repeat offenders. Mm. It's... I think that's like a common theme we're seeing and it's not helpful to like also the narrative around, you know, Democratic run cities and it just becomes ammo for the GOP and Fox News and everything. So definitely never acceptable and something that for sure needs to be addressed. It's just never okay. Biden's budget proposal, the president will travel to Philadelphia on Thursday for a speech on his fiscal year 2024 budget proposal, like his Philadelphia appearance in September on the quote, continued battle for the soul of the nation or his speech at the DNC winter meeting just a month ago. Biden is making sure to keep the biggest city in this pivotal 2024 swing state at the top of his travel agenda. Or maybe he just wants a good steak and cheese. L O Hunchball, really just breaking up this story with. What are what are your nice thoughts on Philly cheesesteaks? Love. What about you? No. Nah. Mm. Oh, I love. Someone's them. gonna come for me for that. I okay. How could you thing. not? It's just like cheesy steak on bread. It's delicious. Okay. First of all, I don't really like bread that much. Second of all, I, and I don't like soft bread. I only like crispy bread, and it's usually soft bread. And then like the steak's usually like too like a, like a medium rare, if not rare, and that's usually like a dark. You know, it's like more well done. More and then chewy. the cheese is like also like fake cheese, not real cheese. And so well, it depends actually. But I do love like a steak with brie and honey and arugula, which I know I say weirdly, but I can't help it. Arugula. On like a baguette. You know, like I just so you like the bougie version of a really cheesesteak. Yeah. Pretty Literally. Much. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what that was. Yep. 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 You're yep. like go to a Philly um, cheesesteak place. You're like, can I actually get sliced filet with brie on it, arugula, and honey? Do you have that? Thank <laughs> on the you. Menu? Thank you so Probably much. Get punched in the face in Philly. Oh like my immediate God. punch. Oh, the, I would be Speaking of like violent crimes, I would be Literally. immediately the target. Probably goes hard in that context. 
Truly. Well, Biden's plan will reduce the deficit by $2 trillion over 10 years and boost Medicare and Social Security, while also not raising taxes on anyone making over $400,000 annually. According to the president and White House officials, it will include a call for new taxes on billionaires and large corporations with a focus on stock buybacks. No tax increases will get through the GOP-run House, of course, but unveiling. But the unveiling of Biden's proposal will start the clock on the House Republicans' own fiscal year 2024 budget plan. Speaker Kevin McCarthy and House Budget Committee Chair Jody Arrington of Texas wants to return federal spending back to fiscal year 2022 levels while laying out a path to balance the budget. But that would mean cuts for at least $130 billion of non-defense discretionary spending for fiscal year 2024, and that won't get through the Democratic-run Senate or win Biden's signature if McCarthy and GOP leaders can even pass it through their own chamber. Arrington has already floated some proposed cuts and policy changes, including reducing spending on climate change programs, excuse you, and instituting new work requirements for federal welfare programs. Republicans also look like they will target Medicaid, which has been expanded dramatically by Obamacare and under and other entitlement programs. The Texas Republican insists that it would be, quote, reckless and irresponsible to raise the debt limit quote, without common sense spending controls, Biden and Democratic leaders have called for raising the debt limit first and then reaching a spending deal. So back to the budget wonkiness, because Congress is back. So what do we expect on that front? But here's your update, folks. There it is. There it is. I also just like one comment on anything that falls into like the Medicare, the Medicaid, the entitlement program situation is especially the ones where it's not social security, where you're paying into it in, you know, at some point you retire or try and retire, try and off, you know, get your money out of the system there. Like the level of poor that you have to be to actually qualify for these programs Mm -hmm. is like so next level insane that like adding these requirements are genuinely cruel in my opinion. Yeah. If anything, they should be raising the inclusion for these programs, not making it harder. It's like how many people are going to continue to fall through the cracks and actually literally die as a result of this? It's just fucking insane to me. And I'm not even articulating this in the best way because, like, I'm not the best person explaining the American healthcare system of chaos. There's only a select few who can. (laughs) Right. And, like, we ain't it. But regardless, I just – anytime I see this stuff, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it is – it's beyond comprehension if you've even looked at how the system works and who it doesn't include and why and what. It's just cruel to me. So mm-hmm. that's my thoughts on that. But we have another story. <laughs> we do. Another one. Fox News is on an unlikely collision course with two leading contenders for the Republican presidential nomination over the rights of journalists. In defending itself against a massive defamation lawsuit over how it covered false claims surrounding the 2020 presidential election, The network is relying on a nearly 60-year-old Supreme Court ruling that makes it difficult to successfully sue media organizations for libel. Former President Donald Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, two favorites of many Fox News viewers, have advocated for the court to revisit the standard, which is considered the foundational case in American defamation law. It is ironic that Fox is relying on a landmark case that was designed to help the news media play the watchdog role in a democracy and is under attack by Governor DeSantis, Donald Trump, and other figures who have been untethered in their attacks on journalists as enemies of the people, said Jane Hall, communications professor at American University. 
Eye-catching evidence has emerged from court filings in recent weeks revealing a split screen between what Fox was portraying to its viewers about the false claims of election fraud and what hosts and executives were saying about them behind the scenes. Like the receipts. The receipts. I cannot. Sidney Powell is lying, Fox News host Tucker Carlson said in a text to a producer referencing one of the attorneys pushing the claims for Trump. In an email a few weeks after the 2020 election, Fox Corporation chairman Rupert Murdoch described a news conference featuring Powell and former New York City mayor Rudy Giuliani, another attorney who pushed the election lies and bought a lot of hair dye. Really crazy stuff and damaging. Aside also, from the Rupert rebel- Murdoch, not to be confused with Murdoch, since Homeboy is very much in the news right now as well. I saw that and I was like, okay, no, it's not the same guy, but really can be a confusing moment oh my god i didn't even think of that what's even the murdoch guy's first name no idea just i murder. just started the docuseries I... murderer murdoch not to be confused right with right Rupert Mur- murdoch so regardless aside from the revelations about fox's inner workings the outcome could have broad implications for media organizations because of how they and the courts have come to rely on the libel law fox is using as a shield In its $1.6 billion lawsuit, voting machine maker Dominion Voting Systems argues that Fox repeatedly aired allegations that the company helped rig the general election against Trump, despite many of the news organization privately believing the claims were false. Fox says the law allows it to air such claims if they are newsworthy. That is just like side note, like just with like laws in general and these and arguments like newsworthy, like trying to qualify, like what is newsworthy? Like, I feel like that is so broad. What's newsworthy to one person isn't newsworthy to some someone else. Well, I think honestly, the entire topic of like the like freedom of speech is so objective and like there's mm-hmm. just so much gray area and all of people who are, you know, experts in this field and liable and like deciding like what is and what isn't it really is at the end of the day just i feel like just a human and their opinion totally that honestly we haven't done at least that i can recall a first amendment episode like on libel and defamation that is something we should totally do yeah like freedom of speech freedom of press Mm -hmm. all of that there's been so many instances over the last few years that touch on that and just show how gray of an area it can be And that's also what makes this story so interesting. Actually, let me just pull this back because I just, what's funny, you know how like there's like the British version of gray or spelling and then there's the American I can never remember. It's either an E or an A. Like leave it to gray. The the color being like, it's it's a little sus. It's like there's a gray area for there to even be a gray area with the spelling. Is it an E or is it an A? Is it freedom of speech? Or is it libel? <laughs> no, it's actually really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And what one person might think is freedom of speech can be defamation in another person's eyes. And, you know, who who do you go with on that front? So that's why we need SCOTUS. 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 Also, LOL, at the video that you put up of me or of our conversation from last week. And it's like me saying SCOTUS maybe 10 times in a row. With no context. No context. People probably just think she's like, is this girl okay? Yes. She know what this is actually called. Anyways, in a 1964 decision in a case involving the New York Times, the U.S. Supreme Court greatly limited the ability of public officials to sue for defamation. It ruled that the news outlets are protected against a libel judgment unless it can be proven that they published with actual malice. 
knowing that something was false or acting with a reckless disregard to whether it was true or not. In one example of how the law was applied, editors at the Times acknowledged last year that an editorial mistakenly linked former Republican vice presidential nominee Sarah Palin's rhetoric to an Arizona mass shooting. Palin lost her libel suit because she couldn't prove the newspaper aired without concern for the truth. Some advocates for free speech worry that the Dominion Fox lawsuit ultimately could give a conservative Supreme Court a chance to revisit the standards set in the case known as New York Times Co. versus Sullivan. While the case has been among the court's most durable precedents, the newly empowered conservative majority has indicated a willingness to challenge what has been considered settled law, as it did last year in overturning abortion rights. I know, like, is anything settled law? Like, I think we're just, we've thrown that out the window at this point. Well, that's literally kind of what I'm saying. I'm like, at the end of the day, it's just a human making a decision. And one human gets much power because they're appointed or elected and, you know, in this case, appointed. And isn't that just crazy that we're just like giving sometimes literally one human being the power to alter rights for millions and millions of people? No, what's that reminds me of is, you know, that phrase or idea where like, adults are like everyone as a kid thinks that adults have it together and know what they're doing and then they yeah. become adults and no adult actually knows what they're doing everyone's just like no literally in the dark like what the hell are we that's doing that's been like, my like guy? most learned lesson of being an adult is like everyone's stupid and doesn't know what they're talking about yep facts absolutely facts except for us we're experts in everything so except just, for us that's yeah that. yeah yep, if you yep, ever yep. need mm-hmm. someone to turn to it's us we're always right <laughs> There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Two Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch. I can never say his name. That one's just a yeah, whatever. Anyways, we know who he is. Have publicly expressed interest in giving the president another look. In dissenting from a 2021 decision not to take up a libel case, Gorsuch... <laughs> <laughs> Gorsuch. <laughs> I'm dead. That was good. All right. That's how I'm saying it from now on. That's just it. That's the that's the take. Anyways, that dude wrote that one again in 1964 as the decision to tolerate occasional errors to allow robust reporting has evolved into an ironclad subsidy for the publication of falsehoods by any means and on a scale previously unimaginable. He said the modern media landscape is much different today and suggested it was less careful. Just wait till this guy learns about Reddit. My God. (laughs) God. Twitter. Oh, his mind is just going to explode. A perceived strength in Dominion's case also worries some supporters of the press. Dominion says Fox was, in effect, torn between the truth that Joe Biden legitimately won the race and pleasing viewers who wanted to believe Trump's lies. In depositions released last week, Murdoch argued that Fox, as a network, did not endorse the claims, but that some of its commentators, Maria Bertoramo, Lou Dobbs, and Janine Pyro, and Sean Hannity. Like, why can't I pronounce anything? At times, did. Murdoch was among several at Fox to say privately that they didn't believe the claims made by Trump and his allies that widespread fraud cost him re-election. In his deposition, Murdoch said he could have prevented guests who were spouting conspiracies from going on the air, but didn't. DeSantis last month urged the Supreme Court to revisit libel laws, saying that they are used to smear politicians and discourage people from running for office. A bill being considered in the Florida legislature would significantly weaken standards in the state. Trump said last year that the court should consider his own defamation lawsuit against CNN a perfect vehicle for revisiting precedents. Many see the case as a surrogate to hold Fox and Trump supporters accountable for what happened after the 2020 election. 
this whole case is just so interesting, not to mention that we are seeing like the truths of like, oh, what what are people actually behind the scenes at Fox thinking? Like, how do they operate? Do they actually believe what they're saying? Or are they just like mm. really good talking heads and like you would on Bravo with the Real Housewives understand the assignment, you know? Like I No, they're full of shit. And they and they for example, January 6th, if you I I was watching Fox on that day. And they were condemning what was happening and they were shocked and scared. And, you know, on that page, even the day or two after was on that same page being like, this is unacceptable. This is a dark day in our history. And then just a week later, they completely shift narratives because they had time to, you know, get the team together, get the PR in order and talk with all of these you know, probably big players in the party and be like, how are we going to spin this? And this is what they do, you know, regardless of how heinous the act is or how heinous the person is. If it's, if they decide that it's going to stay in their party lines then they're going to say whatever they can do, whatever they can to convince their base that everything's good and completely divert the conversation or own, own it in a really weird way which is just yeah. crazy. You know, you can own like an insurrection and be like, they're being dramatic. It was fine. It wasn't a big deal. What? So weird. I also think what is so wild about this is this should be such an eye opener. Like if you're a Fox watcher, right? Like you should be seeing this news and be like, yeah. oh my God. So they're skewing lies a lot, but like, yet you know that that's not the message that they're receiving. No, literally, like, the biggest part of the story was all of Sean Hannity's released texts of him literally saying, like, we know the election wasn't fraud. Right. But you could probably pull thousands of clips of him saying on air that it is fraud and that it was rigged. It's so crazy that this is the turn that it's taken. And, you know, obviously it helps them with views. And at the end of the day, they fire up this base so much that it's like literally an addiction to watch this channel and watch these primetime shows with Sean Hannity. Like I've literally seen it from people in my life. Like it's an, it's truly an addiction to like watch the show and you get so angry at everyone and everything. And it's like, it's how they function. It's how they bring in revenue at the end of the day. That's literally all it is. Which is so weird because I, look, I rarely watch Fox news. It takes a very rare moment, which I'm like, okay, like, I used to be a little bit better about being like, okay, I'm going to turn it on for a little bit just to sort of see what the other side see is saying. See what they're saying, yeah. But like now at this point, like just between the amount of time spent on TikTok and seeing clips from other, like clips of Republicans in action doing really terrible things, it's like I can only, you know, mentally take so much in a day. Yeah. And so I've done it a lot less. But I think what's so wild about when you're on Fox News. And honestly, I can say the same sometimes about CNN and MSNBC. I was just going to well, say, it goes both it's, ways, it's not but there's news. one that's way worse. 90% of the time, like, it's like they have one topic and they're, like, analyzing. And obviously, look, we're sitting on a podcast analyzing something right now. Like, I think having conversations and airing conversations of dialogues on these issues is important, and I'm all here for it. But the way that they do it, it's so, so much more of the time is spent just arguing and screaming and just saying what the news is. And like Jessica Yellen's yeah. podcast is such a great example of like trying to be the opposite where it's her entire title is news, not noise. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things like you turn on Fox, you're like in CNN, all of them. And it's just exhausting. You're like, I, what did I actually get away from that or get out of that besides being incredibly angry, but not actually angry over something legitimate or something 
with an action associated with it or something. Yeah. And it's that's the like, thing that's crazy, crazy is that a lot of these things that they talk about and they fear monger over there. The people who are watching like will never actually like face that in their life. It's dangerous for everyone, for everything, for the country, for people's mental health. It's just like not good. And I think to your point too, I definitely want to asterisk that CNN and MSNBC are both guilty of fear mongering and honing on issues that they shouldn't for too long and making you watch and making you be scared so that you keep coming back. It's, it's a whole, it's their structure of how they function. COVID for example, was like the perfect example of how democratic media kind of took on those tactics and kind of overdid it in a lot of ways to keep people so addicted to watching their show. Totally. Which I have to say, like, I know obviously reading takes a little bit more time, but reading local news stories and reporting is just so much more thorough and so much more helpful. I, yeah, I totally even begin. I'm like, and oh, to, to take even away, like the, the way that it's like delivered, you know, it's like right. a, a performance, like Sean Hannity, it's like, the tone in which he says things, the, you know, body length, everything that goes along with it, that kind of like just boosts that, like the drama is, is an important thing to think about and how like, yeah, reading your news that alone could do so much. There's obviously a lot of like written news out there that still is problematic and, but yeah, it's, it's not good. Look, it's use, not healthy. Use our number one rack, which is ground news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are a ton of like new media resources and podcasts or whatever that, like Sam said, are doing great work of just like delivering the news, still providing like the analysis that can help, you know, break issues down, but without the fear mongering and the partisanship and all the things that are really damaging. This will be interesting to see what happens here. Very, very interesting. No, same. I'm like, ooh. But we'll keep you updated, everybody. Hi, guys. We wanted to pop in with a little recommendation that we think you will love. It's a podcast we listen to each week, and it's called Female Founder World. This show is iconic and shares the stories of entrepreneurial baddies and besties that are making their way in the e-com space and beyond. Each week, an interview drops featuring big names and loads of entrepreneurial advice that most business shows fail to share. The show moves beyond the fluff and gives you the 4 on one and the behind the scenes that we all need to know to grow, whether you're an entrepreneur or working in politics. All these insights apply. Find Female Founder World on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you've listened to pods. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. If you work in the political space, listen up. Here at Girl on the Gov, we have built our whole business around effectively marketing political messaging through digital media. And we want to help you do the same. We have a full digital media consulting menu these days tailored specifically to the political space. Number one, hashtag viral. It is our paid social media newsletter that comes straight to your inbox every Tuesday. If you've ever thought uh, this meeting could have been an email, this newsletter is for you. We give basics to best practices, platform updates, and the content ideas you need to go hashtag viral. And for offering number two, if you want some one-on-one face-to-face attention, we offer that too. We provide social media audits and consulting to help you achieve the conversions and engagement you've been hoping for from your social media content. 
And number three, in our newest edition, Podcast Consulting, we are the minds behind this gorgeous political podcast for young voters that we've been running for two and a half years now. So we know a thing or two about how not only to get a podcast off the ground, but how to grow an audience. We provide podcast consulting for anyone trying to get their podcast started or provide podcast audits for those who have started their pod but want to see it take off. Podcasting is a great new in-house digital media marketing tool and a great way for any candidate elected or org to amplify their work and their voice. So head to girlonthegov.com slash consulting to learn more about our services and to sign up for hashtag viral to start slaying the beast that is digital media. Skeptical about custom beauty? I get it. My feed is flooded with customized this and personalized that, all promising to fix my split ends and my dry skin and all of the things. But when pros says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. And your formula literally couldn't exist without you. Each and every bottle of pros custom hair care and skin care is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals, and they get personal. Pros covers everything from diet, exercise, and stress levels to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They even asked me about, you know, where I live, the water hardiness that I have coming from my shower, UV index, all of the things. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. And I know from experience, one-of-a-kind formulas equal one-in-a-million results. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed that my hair is definitely fuller. I have thinner hair that just like will not hold a curl or stay voluminous. And ever since using pros, that has changed. But don't just take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering an exclusive trial offer. So you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash girlandgov. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash G-I-R-L-A-N-D-G-O-V for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash girlandgov. Well, next story is some more dark news for everybody because... Are we fear mongering? Oh my god! Oh my god! No, you know what? Guys? No, this is just Our... like this. Does it? It's on its own. We're just reporting news. I yes to that and two. I know we've already said it ten times over, but the newsletter, the one that went out yesterday, aka Monday, has a lot of action items. Like this week is action items crazy. So many, and I will say this: almost all of them you can do in under thirty seconds. And they have a huge impact. And I want to just make that, like, let me just get on my little soapbox over here. There are so many actions that you can take that really take under 30 seconds. I want people to be able to realize that they can make a big impact even with like 30 seconds of their day. We're all busy and we all have ADD. So a quick action item is the best. And we are providing them in our newsletters all the time. So again, another plug to go subscribe. 
There it is. Go subscribe. Okay, so the story is the story around these anti-drag bills that have been popping up in the states. Tennessee became the first state to explicitly ban drag shows in public spaces on Thursday after Governor Bill Lee signed the provision into law hours after the measure passed in the state Senate. Drag shows have now become the latest target of conservative criticism as a slew of other anti-drag bills have been introduced in at least 14 other states, including Arizona, Kentucky, Oklahoma, and others. Language across the numerous bills is similar to the Tennessee bill, which prohibits, quote, adult cabaret performances in public places where minors could watch. And in Tennessee's bill, adult cabaret is defined as adult-oriented performances that include male or female impersonators. While the law does not make all drag shows illegal across Tennessee, advocates still worry about the broader effects of the bill across the queer community. The bill signing also comes after Governor Lee was criticized earlier this week for what many called him dressing in drag after a photo of what appears to be the governor wearing a dress from a 1977 Franklin High yearbook that surfaced on Reddit. Conservatives across the country and far-right groups are advocating for similar provisions that they claim will be will better protect children. <laughs> Why don't you ban assault weapons first? Thank right. You. Just, you know, little details here. Yeah. I think there's a few, you know, bigger fish to fry, mm. but yeah. Yeah. LGBTQ plus advocates contend that these bills are just the latest attack from conservatives following the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Quote, as we saw a lot of states, including Oklahoma, advance these full bans on abortion access, we had these extremist legislators who accomplished their legislative agendas. Nicole McAfee, executive director of Freedom Oklahoma, an organization that advocates for queer communities across the state, tells Time, unfortunately, this is the next social battle for many of those folks. And so... Here's the status of some of the other anti-drag bills across the country right now. So Arizona's drag ban would characterize drag shows as a part of, quote, adult-oriented performances, and the bill has been sent to the House. In January, Arkansas State Senator Gary Stubblefield first introduced Senate Bill 43 with explicit language prohibiting drag shows from being performed on public property around minors. And in early February, state legislators removed language in the bill that explicitly prohibited drag performances instead of opting to restrict adult-oriented shows. And the bill was signed into law on February 27th. Idaho legislators introduced a bill to ban drag in public places on February 27th. The bill heads to the House State Affairs Committee for a hearing. In Kansas, Senate Bill 149 was introduced and referred to the committee judiciary in early February. Kentucky state legislature voted to advance their anti-drag bill SB 115 on Thursday. The bill moves to a vote to the full Senate and then will go to the House if it's passed. In Missouri, legislators introduced House Bill 1364 on March 1st. The bill does not yet have a hearing scheduled. Montana's House Bill 359 passed the House during a preliminary vote on Thursday. Nebraska, LB 371, first introduced in January, and the bill is currently indefinitely postponed. In Oklahoma, state legislators passed a vote on February 23 to advance an anti-drag bill to the House floor. Texas is considering four bills that would target drag shows. In West Virginia, legislators introduced Senate Bill 253. It was introduced to the Senate in January, though no other major legislative action has been taken. So those are all the states that are being bigots. And, you know, some have 
definite potential to pass. Some are probably not going to go anywhere, but regardless, this is the new wave that we've been seeing of just, just hate. Hate to hate. law. It's so just wild to see these just absolutely messed up people go after people for just their identity, who they are as people, and try and like take yeah. their humanity from them. It's so vile. It's so disgusting. I, it's one of those ones that it kind of fits into the, like the gun violence category where there's just certain times where you're just like, what are people what words? Yeah, exactly. There's the classic thing of like, well, if you're worried, you're actually worried about the children, you would be doing X, Y, Z. And this is just such a good example with all of these like anti-drag laws. If you were worried about the kids, we would be taxing the churches and we would be going after all of the like really creepy pastors that are Period. actually hurting people. So like that's what we would be doing. Or, you know, we would be actually making sure that we had a low maternal death rate in this country Mm -hmm. and we had access to healthcare, which includes abortion. And that, you know, it goes on and on. And that that children weren't like getting shot down in their schools. Like it's just like to really see just even those issues sit right next to each other is in in some of these states where they've had gruesome gruesome shootings right it's just and we talked about this in our episode last week with tippy mccullough of arkansas and some of the stuff that she's seeing there so first of all go listen if you haven't yet because this is very much in line with this conversation but yeah we talk about that it's like bring that same energy of protecting the children to all of these other issues that will actually protect the children and like how about just don't deny people their humanity on the way to doing that like there is no reason and also it's like you have to think too like even like from a religious standpoint right we have freedom of religion in this country so where in what world do you get the idea or the right to be able to tell someone who they can be as a person yeah or what you can choose as your health care because of like what some person's religious beliefs are on get your religion out of our bodies and out of our out of our lives and i will say too it's really just another example of how conservatives literally like use children as a chess piece to push certain to push their bigotry through it's like protecting the unborn protecting children from drag they're literally just using children as pawns for hateful policy ideas and rhetoric and yet there's no movement on actual policies that will help people and will help children it's fucking crazy and another just push to like pay attention to your state government because we also talk about this how state governments are the producers behind the reality tv show and we need to pay attention because they're the ones stirring up all the drama and doing all the heinous shit but at the end of the day like what happens in the states and the power that gets built there is really what we need to be watching and what we need to be working on and the conservative and GOP have been really good at building that power. And, and we just haven't. A really good reminder that there are statewide elections in Virginia this year, in New Jersey, in Louisiana, in Mississippi, and Kentucky. Yep. So pay attention. Yeah. All of our rants aside, there's some more heinous stuff that's coming out of some yeah, red sorry, states. Guys. And that's our next story. So, so sorry. Sorry. We're going to South Carolina for this one. 
So South Carolina is the latest GOP-led state to propose a bill that would make the death penalty a punishment for abortion. Before we say anything else about this, the irony of being like, you, we're going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. For this action, which yeah. the idea is being for life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just right, 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 right. Logic. Just, Club. There's literally Logics. no words. No. There's no rules. Well, there's only no common there's only eye rolls. Exactly. I stand by that. And I eye roll by that. In state representative Rob Harris introduced the South Carolina Prenatal Equal Protection Act of 2023 last week, which would make getting an abortion the same as committing homicide. The bill has been prefiled or the bill had been prefiled in December and is now sitting in the Judiciary Committee. What I did the other day is I took the opportunity while the rest of the House was dealing with H3774 Human Life Protection Act, a different bill. I put the First Amendment on the bill when we were processing it on the floor, and I tried to amend it to basically strike the whole thing and replace it with my bill, Harris told WBTW. South Carolina state law currently punishes abortion with up to two years in prison and a fine of up to $1,000. The new bill would work to define a fetus as, as any state of development as a person that should be equally protected from fertilization to natural death. I just. The bill states its purpose was to ensure that an unborn child who is a victim of assault is afforded equal protection under the assault laws of the state with exceptions. There's just no words, um, no words. Head, head shaking and eye rolls. Yeah, that's or, what's happening over here. Yeah, this is a podcast. So. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Okay. Anyways, the development comes as at least 13 states have banned abortion following the Supreme Court's ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade last June. The penalty is one of the harshest, but this isn't the first time a state lawmaker has proposed the death penalty for abortion. In March 2021, Texas State Representative Ryan Slatton proposed legislation that would ban and criminalize abortion, which would carry the death penalty, the Texas Tribune reported. The bill, similar to those like it in the past, did not pass the state legislature. Literally, no words. I don't know what to say, except for you're stupid. You're just stupid. You're stupid. And you're you're heinous. And you're inhumane, cruel, vile disgusting like i have i have really really dark things to say but i'm not going to same same i think that's where we leave it we're leaving Um, we're we're capping it yeah however if you are one of our south carolina listeners please do get involved with the really amazing organization that is ren they have been in our newsletter a few times i hopefully will remember to put a link in our description if i forget because we know me, just DMS will link you up all the good stuff. But they are an amazing organization fighting for reproductive freedom and rights in South Carolina. Lots of stuff to get involved with them. So don't miss an opportunity. Yes. Now for yeah. our next our next story. One more. We're sorry. Like, guys, activity. go for a walk after this if you aren't listening to this on a walk. <laughs> like, get some yeah. fresh air because we know this is this is rough. Okay. Hey. We're going to Iowa for this one. A group of Republicans introduced bills to ban same-sex marriage and to amend the Iowa Constitution to define marriage as between a man and a woman. Democrats have had their own bill that would bring Iowa's law in line with the 2009 Iowa Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage in the state. None of those bills were assigned a subcommittee, nor are they believed to actually be going anywhere. However, obviously worth reporting because, yet again, we have another hateful bill rolling around at the state level. Mm-hmm. House Joint Resolution 8, which is co- or which was co-sponsored by eight House Republicans, would amend the Iowa Constitution by adding a section defining marriage. It would state in accordance with the laws of nature and nature's God, 
please circle back to separation of church and state. Thank you. The state of Iowa recognizes the definition of marriage to be the sol- solemnized. I've never heard of that word before. You don't Sol- read the Bible. Do I look like I read the Bible? I don't either, but I'm assuming that looks like a Bible word. It's giving, it's giving Bible. It's giving Bible. <laughs> and not one, not Kardashian Bible. No, no. Solomon's union between one human biological male, one human biological female, which just not to add the transphobia also in here. Mm. How, how could they, how could they miss that? You know, I mean, how could they, why not miss an opportunity? How could they leave that out? You know, it was, it's, it's a crucial piece of this, I'm sure. Be homophobic and, and transphobic at the same time. I don't I mean, know how they would say tonight if they didn't include it. You know? It's true. It's true. Mm. Yeah. Amendments to the Iowa Constitution must be passed in two consecutive sessions of the Iowa legislature with an election in between before they can be placed on a statewide ballot for an up or down vote. House File 508, which is also co-sponsored by eight Republicans, would say that Iowa recognizes marriage as a secret religious sacrament and that no Iowan shall be compelled to recognize any same-sex marriage as valid. It's just like, this is what I don't get. Is anyone being like, wait, we have a separation of church and state. Why are you even suggesting this? Like, I just want to like, maybe I should. You know what I might do is like email this office, this rep. I mean, like, just quick question, like, what your thoughts are on separation of church and state and why you think that this bill would at all be constitutional? Yeah, I stand behind it. You know, like, I just want to know the like the response and their argument for that, because you think they'd have to have one bottled up to defend themselves for bills like this where they're explicitly mentioning religion. You know, I feel like a well, lot of my, the like, kind of like bigotry guess. policies aren't always mentioning the religious part. You know, well, let's just let's finish the, finish up this story just with a few more details. So it would state that Iowa considers portions of the Federal Respect for Marriage Act to be null and void for violating the First Amendment's religious protections and the Tenth Amendment by encroaching on the state's powers. President Joe Biden signed a law in December. It requires the federal government to recognize marriages as long as they were valid in the state where they where the marriage took place. It also bans states from denying recognition to out-of-state marriages based on the sex, race, ethnicity, or origin of those getting married. Although the bill is not assigned a hearing, we will be seeing it again in future years as it relates to the specific Iowa anti-gay marriage bill. Yeah. So there it is. It did mention violating First Amendment's religious protections, but that law would would be violating religious protections because... You would then be enforcing one specific religion on the majority of the population who does not follow that specific religion. You know, I think Mm -hmm. it's just right there in plain sight for everybody. But here we are. Like it said, that bill is likely not to go anywhere. But again, it's just important to note that this is what's happening at the state level in a lot of these states. And again, just another lesson of why it's important to pay attention to vote in your in your state elections, but also to pay attention while there's no elections, because I think it's important that we still email those reps, call those reps and check in on what they're doing and what they're working on, because I think it's so easy to have all of their work and all of what they're doing fall under the radar. And that's really dangerous. This okay, this is it's my harsh. recommendation on that is to sign up for newsletters from your local news outlet and specifically like the newspapers 
There are tons of different bill trackers. We occasionally highlight them, whether it's specific to the state you can do or it's, you know, ones that cover all of the states. But you kind of have to know what you're looking for when you're using them, whether it's knowing your rep ready, which you should know. Go check it out for sure. But even in reading the bills and pulling stuff from those websites, again, you kind of have to know what you're looking for. So sometimes I find it's easier strategically to be signed up for all these different newsletters that are reporting on politics bills that are coming up at the state and local level. It's definitely but- hard to keep, pay attention and, you know, know what's going on. That's no one's fault but our governments, but there are tools and tricks to to do so. And hopefully we help help highlight those. But those are our top stories of the week. They were some long doozy ones, some dark ones. But like we said in the beginning, if you follow our newsletter or sorry, subscribe to our newsletter, you can get action items weekly. And hopefully that helps make you feel a little less helpless during some of these dark news stories that we come across. There are still things we can do. There are still great things happening and great work being done. And we are highlighting those in our weekly newsletter. So go subscribe and tune in tomorrow for our interview episode. Have a lovely Tuesday, Tuesday, and we'll be talking to you tomorrow. Toodles. Toodles.